0: cries echo throughout the city below some scream in pain and others stretch into languid sighs of ecstasy fires crackle in large metal braziers in every plaza on every street corner soldiers march in formation the clattering of their armor and thundering footsteps provide a solid beat to the chaotic noise hell is rarely quiet Even here, miles above the city, hidden in a semi-sheltered alcove of the cavernous ceiling, noise is ever-present. A series of heavy metal cages hang from chains anchored above. Every so often, the ever-changing wind finds its way into the alcove. It shakes the cages. The wind takes them and swings them like wind chimes in a thunderstorm. They clatter together adding to the cacophony, while their occupants cry out in distress. As two cages clash together, a large hand reaches out from one. It latches onto a nearby cage. Locked together now, the two occupants struggle briefly, tearing at one another through the metal bars of their own separate prisons. Then the wind separates them, and blood drips down from both. A few hundred feet away, another set of cages clash. A beast of a man, covered in scars and sinewed muscles, cries out in fear. He reaches through the bars and pushes off the cage, ramming his own, desperately trying to get away from the other cage. The other occupant is silent. His eyes are closed, and he leans forward, his head resting against the cold metal of the bars. His legs dangle out of the cage and hang limply above the city. His breath comes slowly. Sinewed muscles stretch tightly as his body consumes them to keep his heart beating. Dark bruises stretches out in striations along pale, barely pigmented, red skin. An amulet hangs from a loose chain at his neck. Its face is carved with a chaotic series of lines. The amulet clatters against his cage and falls back, resting against his scarred chest. It settles perfectly into a fresh burn scar. The twisting lines of metal cling to the blistered skin. The tiefling's eyes open slowly at the sound of flapping wings. Eyes bloodshot, he scans the faint red skyline, searching for movement. A moment later, he spies it. A massive figure rises over the city below, lazily climbing towards the cages. Its massive wings beat back the air, and soon It closes on the pale tiefling's cage. Two clawed feet clatter against the side of the cage and tear it free from the ceiling. Then together, the man and devil fall from the sky. The ride is swift and unpleasant. The tiefling bounces in his cage, bars battering his already bruised flesh. Then the two crash into a sanded pit. The landing is the worst part. The cage tears itself apart as it hits the ground, and its captive is flung from the wreckage to tumble in the loose sand. A few moments later, something heavy thuds against the ground next to him. He slowly rises and greets his only surviving friend, a heavy metal blade which he uses as a crutch to push himself to unsteady feet. The air fights against him as wings carry his captor away. New voices fill the pit. The harsh language of devils call out for the half-demon to be killed. Soon, more than simple words are flung at him—a number of stones, a few knives, a bolt of flame. They complete their own sick ritual, then another figure enters the pit. It settles down into a crouch. Long limbs stretch out to the side as it eyes the demon spawn cautiously. The tiefling stands tall and takes a deep breath. He lets his anger build, bloodshot eyes close, it comes slower to the aching muscles, that strange source of energy, the liquid hatred, his only source of strength. Soon rage is running through his veins, his breath quickens and knuckles tighten on the hilt of a massive sword. He opens his eyes and for the first time today, truly feels alive. His body seems to hum with energy, and as the devil before him rises to his full height, he charges. A primal and wordless scream escapes him as he leaps into the air. The final feet are closed in a matter of a heartbeat. His sword trails behind him. It becomes a brilliant source of light as it bursts into flames. It swings up in an arc and catches the devil full in the shoulder. Another heartbeat later, a body filled with rage tackles the thing to the ground. The two push from each other. They fall to the ground and razor-sharp claws cut into the barbarian. He drags his sword down and through the tendons of the devil's arm. It kicks him, and he goes flying. Covered in burning ichor, both combatants stink of burning flesh. The tiefling strides across the sand towards a wounded devil. The amulet around his neck glows a bright red as it rests against his flesh. The creature scrambles to its feet. A long arc of burning metal is deflected by a limp arm. The blade flies from the tiefling's grasp, and he feels the claws close around his midsection. The devil begins to slowly cut him in half, and the rage drowns out his panic. On instinct, his hands reach forward for the devil's wound. He plunges his open hand into the open flesh and tears something wet and solid free. The devil cries out as it lashes out in pain. The tiefling is sent sprawling. Slowly the two collect themselves. The tiefling is the first to his feet. He drags weary feet through the sand towards his sword. The smell of his burning flesh is an acrid scent that only fuels his hatred. The glowing red light of his amulet, barely shrouded by the smoke tearing its way out of his flesh, is the last light the devil sees. A massive sword tears through its neck. The thud of its head falling to the sand is echoed a moment later. As his knees hit the ground, his eyes close. He feels the rage start to slip from him. He clings to it, pleading with it, please don't go, don't leave me. When that doesn't work he screams at it, trying to clod up, but like the sand beneath him it slips from his grasp. He pictures her face, that wretched hag that took his luck. She laughs faintly in his mind, and the rage lingers. Its slow departure halts as he clings to the memory of her face. His spine itches. He laughs then, an irony only clear to him now, his chosen name, so aptly earned. He laughs, deeply and loudly. His mind falls in on itself as his sword is torn from his grasp. Claws rake at his body. They tear into flesh and sap what little strength he had left. His eyes squeeze shut tightly, and he mutters to himself, Torment, 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 torment. The End. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Uh, thanks for listening to that Tale of Estariel, Uh, you may have noticed, if you are a regular listener, that this one was spread out a week um, from the day that the story was posted. Uh, That's because from now on, uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, the stories themselves are going to be posted every week, but the audio version will be available every two weeks, and you will get to listen to a special double feature of the audio so you've just listened to this our story from last week hell and here after this little mid-roll you'll be listening to uh... our story that'll go up uh, on the same day as this audio uh... called penance uh... just checking in uh... here there will be no uh, me talking at the end of the second story so i'll get out our plugs out of the way if you guys like the music that comes along with this audio Uh, You can check out more of it on YouTube at Fashionably Absent. This particular song is called Flux. They've recently released five new songs, which are all great. So check them out on YouTube, again, at Fashionably Absent. If you're looking to get a hold of us in any way, we have a website. We have Twitter. We have an email. It's all at ityatale.com, at on Twitter, and at gmail.com for our email. We also have a Facebook. If you use Facebook, you can find it there. The same tag as before. But without too much else going on, we'll go back into our second story Penance. I crest the small hill slowly. I do not stop. In fact, each step follows the same measured pace forward. In the same way that glaciers move, so too do I. The weight of the sword on my back seems to grow lighter as I make it to the top. The heavy clinking of its chain, wound from the hilt down to my wrist, seems to echo louder over the empty path before me. Atop this hill, I can see another this one much steeper than the one I stand upon now. At its peak, a small cottage sits. Smoke trails from its chimney, and a number of apple trees take up space around it. I can feel the sword. It pulls me forward, but I have to be sure. I halt my progress, the first break in hours, and step to the side of the path. I haven't seen another soul in hours, but caution is a habit I'm unwilling to break. There is a small clearing behind a copse of trees. I stand alone here and draw the blade. Its silvery metal catches the light as I pull it from the heavy sheath on my back. This is not something I do quickly. The size of the blade and the heavy chain attaching it to my hand make this ritual. A simple ritual, but one of many. Here alone I move slowly. I try not to look at the blade. I try to push all thoughts of the things that I've done with it from my mind, but I cannot. This thing is a part of me. I drive the blade into the soft earth. It sinks easily two feet into the ground. I press it further, making sure the hilt is low enough. Then I raise my arm. The chain clinks as it hangs slackened from the manacle at my wrist. I feel lost. Another ritual, and seek guidance. Does the person we seek reside in the cottage on that hill? I wait, and so too does the world around me. Slowly the chain pulls tight. It stretches and fights gravity to pull towards the cottage. I feel lost, and seek guidance. I am wary. Does this have to be done today? The chain slackens once more. I take this as a scent. I feel lost and seek guidance. Is this my final task? The chain grows heavier. It pulls my wrist down towards the hilt of the sword. I know what this means. After this task, another. I draw the sword from the ground, not bothering to clean the dirt from it, a small slight. The blade does not seem to rust no matter what neglect I give to it. I undo my bag and take from it two pouches. The first is a water skin. The water inside is cool, but tainted with the taste of stale leather. It is good enough for me. Then I settle my back against a tree. Sliding to the ground, I lay the sword across my knees. I open the second pouch and take a heavy scoop of the gel from inside. I rub it on my wrist, working it around and under the manacle. It burns the raw flesh, but slowly does its job. Soon I am less conscious of the world around me. I hear the forest as though it were a faraway echo. It quiets the screams, but does not dismiss them. They visit me as they always do, one by one. The first, a child, her name lost me. Tears cloud my eyes, then she is gone, and the next is here. An older man, his name I do remember. And so they all come to visit me, staring with haunted eyes. My final visitor is always the same, he always appears last. As the line grows longer, he stays here at the end. The others stare with their grave expressions, but he steps closer. His hand rests on my shoulder. I cry openly now. I can feel the anguish inside of him. He does his best to reassure me, to apologize. But it was never his fault. I chose this penance. I do not rest well. When the sun rises, I am ready. I come up from the ground slowly and begin to make my way up the hill. The smoke from the chimney is gone, the fire dwindled out during the night. I take an apple from one of the trees. A single bite is all I manage to keep down, but it is enough. I move to the door and lean against it. It does not move. I press my shoulder against it and press harder. The wood groans softly, but does not break. I stop and make a circle around the cottage. It is the only door. I don't feel like pulling glass shards from my arms later, so I return to the door. I draw the sword and take a deep breath. My eyes close for but a moment, and then the anger from the blade seeps into me. My eyes shoot open, and I can just barely notice my veins drying black as I kick the door clean off its hinges. There is a lantern lit inside, and with its light I can see all the small room inside. There is a heavy wooden table, kept neatly empty. Three chairs are pulled up around it. A fourth is broken in pieces on the ground. In one corner of the room stands a woman. She has long blonde hair drawn back into a tight braid. She has a small knife in one hand. Near to her is a wood stove. She is slicing apples. I can smell the scent of baking pies. Her face is frightened. One of her eyes is swollen shut. An arm is held tight to her body in a sling. The sword does not pull me towards her. Across the room is a man. He bolts upright from a bed. His eyes are tired and he snatches up a heavy club that must not ever leave his side. His body is a mess of scars, the most prominent of them a burn scar atop his head. It makes his hair grow strangely. His eyes are angry. I do not look forward to seeing them tonight. The sword draws me forward. In a single bound I am across the cottage. The man is quicker than I thought. He avoids the first strike of my sword. Its size makes it difficult to use inside. His club hits me fully in the side. I can feel my ribs crack, but I have no time for the pain. I stumble backward and lash out with the sword again. He is caught off guard. He trips over the broken chair and falls onto his back. My blade follows him to the ground and takes off the hand that held the club. He screams in pain and I try quickly to pull the sword from the ground. I try not to listen to his scream. You don't understand the kindness I do for you. My voice is quiet, hollow. It is death now, or life of service. The blade slips from the ground, and I drive it downward again. He no longer screams, and I feel the energy of the fight leave me. My ribs ache. I look to the woman. She is crying and rushing towards me. I step away. She has dropped the knife. She kneels over the man, shaking him with her one good arm. She wails. I look away and step from the cottage. I do not speak to her. I do not want to know her name. As I leave the cottage, she steps into the doorway, screaming after me. I do not blame her. I do not stop walking, either. When I am far away from the cottage, I take a deep breath. The air is crisp and cool, with the first breath of winter. I draw the sword and drive it into the ground. I feel lost and seek guidance. Where do I go now? The chain tightens, pulling me north. I think for a long moment, the second question fighting me to be spoken. I feel lost and seek guidance. Did he... deserve it? The chain falls slack, and I fear I won't get an answer. But then my final visitor stands before me. He looks sadly to me and speaks. Did you? Did I? I let this comfort me. I don't know about my visitor, but I know myself. It will not help me sleep tonight. I feel lost and seek guidance. Is this to be my final task? The chain draws my hand down towards the hilt. I begin to walk. The end.